Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg, and we are currently going through a series in Matthew, and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org, and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. things, you're a part of something, you're in places, man, you don't even, you shouldn't be, you know it, and suddenly you like become aware and you're like, man, how did I get here? Anybody like ever have that experience? I've had that experience. You're like, man, what's going on? And, and, and you don't really know, and as you stop and you think, you, guess, you kind of look back and see all these little decisions that have taken you to this place that you don't really want to be, and I think a lot of us, um, us coming to Jesus was in those moments where you suddenly arrive to a place and you're going, man, I don't know how I got here, but Jesus, I don't know how to get out of here. That's my story. Got to a place where I was ready to take my life. I was hopeless. I was super depressed. I was drug addicted, porn addicted. I was lost. And, and I was at one of those hard times in life where your hormones are going crazy. crazy you know what I'm talking about? Called teenage years. And, uh, but God found me and met me right there. And I didn't, I didn't know how to get out. And so today we're kind of looking at the powerful, subtle, seductive, and dehumanizing way that demons work in our lives, spiritual evil works in our lives, to take us to places that we didn't mean to be. Now, it, I think there's a tendency that we have in our heart to think that maybe demons don't exist, but this is what Scripture says. Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, who? The devil. You guys have heard this passage, right? prowls around like a roaring what? Lion, seeking someone to devour. What does it say? It says, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. In who? Jesus. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All over the world, people are experiencing the same kind of adversary coming after them, trying to devour them. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6. He says this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not yours, his. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you realize that there is a spiritual evil right now that is scheming against you? They are not omnipresent. They're not like God. They're not all over the place. They're not all powerful. They're not all knowing. So there could be one here, and I pray, we pray over this building that they never have access to this building. This would be a place where you could come and you just feel like there's just a freedom and a place you could just breathe and you could just be and you could be vulnerable, you could be honest. But they're, they're moving through your neighborhoods. They're moving through our schools. And our scripture is telling us, hey, don't be delusional. Be sober-minded. Your adversary is coming for you. He hates you. And he hates you because God loves you. And so today we're looking at some men, and uh, we're going to try to answer this question, man. The first question I'm going to try to answer is like, man, how does someone become demon-possessed? Anybody ever wonder that? Right? The question I have, and I title this message, is should I worry about demons? Anybody want to know what the answer is? Yeah, you should. You should. 
Now, you don't need to be worrying about what you see on Hollywood movies, but you do need to realize they are smarter than you, they know the Word of God better than you, and they know who God is better than you, and you need to be on guard. And so today, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, first of all, demonic progression. Demonic progression. Before we talk about demonic possession, we've got to talk about demonic progression. Then we're going to look at the central part of this passage. This is the most important thing that you need to know from this passage, the central point, that Jesus is the Lord of the spiritual realm. You hear me? If you tune me out from here on out, you got the main point. Jesus is, friends, the Lord of heaven and earth. And lastly, we're going to look at, do I have a said faith or a saving faith? you got to figure that out. And it's key, it's key to the war. All right, you ready? Let's jump, let's jump into this. <clears throat> so when we come across passages like Matthew 8 that has demons, most of us don't really know what to make of it. So because, you know, maybe we don't experience things like this, right? Anybody ever run around the graveyard over here across from Anytime Fitness, ran into two dudes, just slashing themselves with rocks, breaking chains? Anybody have that experience? No. Okay, so but because we don't have this experience, we can have a tendency to think that it doesn't happen. Oh, it's a, that's, that's ancient history. And I, you got to know, the demons got you right where they want you, thinking that this doesn't happen. I had a great conversation with the elders this past week, and I was like, listen, the reason why a lot of Christians don't see this is because a lot of Christians spend time with Christians. This isn't something that just exists in Africa or in China. This exists right here in Cody. And so the reality is it exists, okay? It's true. They're here. So if it is true that they're here, how does one become possessed by a demon? Let's read verse 28. And when he came to the other side, the country of the Gadarenes, all right, uh, or Gerasenes is another word used. Don't worry about it. It's like I, I would tell you that I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, but I'm not actually from Charleston. I just know that you don't know where Goose Creek is. You understand that? Right? So if I said Goose Creek, you'd be like, what? And if I said Charleston, you go, oh, okay, I gotcha. And so it's one author will write about the bigger city, which is not even close to the coast, because he's writing to Romans, but then uh, Matthew, he's writing to Jews, so he talks about the coastal city. Okay, do you understand that? Historical context nobody cares about? Great, all right, we're in it. All right, so how, uh, how does one become possessed by demons? So two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, Right, so it's a place of death, so fierce that no one could pass that way. All right. Well, if you were here a few years ago, how does someone become possessed? Well, think about this. If you were here a few years ago, let me know. Anybody here when we were talking about patterns, patterns for renewal? You maybe remember that? Great. Okay, we have these patterns books out there, and they're full of spiritual disciplines. And the book itself is to help you practice the spiritual discipline of reading God's word and connecting with Jesus, abiding with him. Okay, and so... In that pattern series where we talked about spiritual disciplines, one of the key things I said to understanding the spiritual disciplines is understanding who you are. You need to know who you are. Now, I don't mean like who Eric is, that he's an engineer, that he's six foot 13 and, you know, and weighs like 150. Okay, that's not what I mean. All right? That's not what I mean. What I mean by know who you are is to know what a human soul is. Do you know what a human soul is? We define a human soul as this. A human soul is made up of this. Starting, I'm going to start from the outside and work to the inside. Your environment. The environment is a part of who the human soul is. Where you are matters for who you are. Do you know this? 
So your environment, which then moves into, okay, your body, okay? So your body is a part of really who you are, and it's actually a good thing. When the Bible's talking about battling against the flesh, yes, your flesh is warring against you, but your body is something that God's going to give you a new one. It's not an evil thing. It's a thing that's partnered with your spirit. You don't really care about that. I'm just kind of protecting you from the bad philosophy of our day. Okay, so there's the environment, then there's the body, then there's the mind, and then there's the heart and spirit. It's the core of who you are. It's, it's the Pentagon. It's Houston for NASA, right? The, your heart, which in the Bible is also called spirit, is the core of who you are. Now, think about this. All of the decisions of your life, the will of your life comes from your heart. But what your heart believes starts in your environment, moves to the body, fills your mind, and infiltrates the heart. Do you understand? That's why, friends, sometimes you need to change your playground and your playmates because the, play, the playground you're on ain't good for you, and the playmates you're hanging with ain't good for you. And so it starts that way. Now, why am I telling you about this? Why am I telling you about this? I'm telling you because demonic possession is not like getting jumped in an alley. You understand? Anybody ever get jumped? I got jumped once, right? Uh, it's not like you're just walking, la-di-da, living life, and then you get clocked in the face, and you're like, where am I, right? And suddenly you're possessed. And I think some of y'all worry about that. That's not how it works. Demonic possession starts with a demonic progression, and what it happens is, is they infiltrate your environment. They place little signs in social media and movies and, in, and, and voices like what your classmates or your, your boss says that you want approval because it's your first job or what your, your dad was telling you that you have no value when you're growing up as he was drunk and he was beating you or whatever the case may be. They place all these things in your environment and then you see them, you hear them, which takes it to what? Your mind. And your mind has to then connect with your heart and you have to decide whether or not you believe it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's subtle, it's seductive, it's progressive, and it's always dehumanizing. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. The King James says with diligence. Keep your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. I like the King James Version where it says uh, basically, for from it flows all kinds of evil. Keep your heart. If you don't keep your heart, you will lose your heart. You got to be diligent. You got to protect it. Men, women, you've got to protect your heart. And the way we do that is Proverbs 4.23 eventually leads to Proverbs 4.25, which says this, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 426 says, ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. So Christians, where does, what do we gaze at? What do we look at? If we want to guard our heart, Jesus. Guys, you're in a church, and get the easy answer, right? It's not Old Testament, so it's not Moses, so it's the New Testament. It's got to be Jesus. Great. All right. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Anybody know this psalm? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what? The things of earth will go strangely dim, the light of his glory and grace. You, you want to be diligent. You want to be vigilant. You want to you keep that heart that God has given you. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
But man, demons, they are going to place things in your life. They're going to place events in your life. They're going to interrupt, distract, get you a degree or two off. And, and over time, it can progress to something that is really dangerous. So what I want to do is I'm going to show you guys a video. Let me set you guys a, con- a little context. There's a movie called uh, Nefarious. Anybody seen this movie, Nefarious? It is. Here's what I want to tell you, okay? Uh, you need to watch it before you let your kids watch it. If your kids are not like 13 and over, it's rated R. They shouldn't watch it. Okay, but the reason why it's rated R, it's a conversation between a man who's possessed with a demon and a psychologist inside of a prison while the man's on death row because he's murdered people. Okay, so it's just, it's not bloody and gory and cuss words. It's just really intense. I'm going to show you a clip right now. So if your kids are here, (laughs) you're welcome. Sorry I didn't warn you. Uh, It'll be okay on this one, I promise. But here's what, I'm showing you this clip. Okay, there's a man you're going to see. And this psychologist who does not believe in God, who dismisses spirituality, dismisses that there's demons, just thinks it's just a mental illness, is having a conversation with a demon named Nefarious. And I want you to hear what this demon says to the psychologist. It's incredibly important, okay? So can I get somebody, Jake, will you flip off all the lights? It's not so much that you see them it's that you hear what he says, okay? All right, watch this. Do you believe in demonic possession? The idea of a malevolent entity controlling person's thoughts and actions, do you believe that? No. Well, you won't believe anything I'm about to tell you. It's not important what I believe. What's important right now is what you believe. Demons don't have beliefs, James. We have knowledge. We know. Okay, um... When did you possess Edward? It doesn't work that way. You can't just possess someone. We need a series of yeses. So you're saying it's a process? Of it's a process. How does it work? It's complicated. Try me. I'm smarter than you think. I'm smarter than I think. Okay, James. We offer up a series of temptations, gradually increasing in terms of duration and intensity, degree of moral inequity. Absence of baptism in this case allows us to begin work long before the age of reason. At three, digit five, maybe a theft of a toy car can do a great deal. Then we move on to bigger and better things. At eight, grandmother's gift of a Ouija board gave us immediate access to his decision-making, so we began steering them without him all calling into question exactly who was doing the steering. Enough yeses and few enough noes gave us increasing rights over the victims, physical and mental processes. Did that, did that track, James? It seems random, almost um, unfocused. Well, that's what we want you to think. We have a level of focus beyond your comprehension. As a matter of fact, everybody around him, friends, family, they didn't even notice the changes. It happened so incrementally. They just thought it was Eddie, being Eddie. We know exactly what we're doing, when, where, and how he's giving consent, and the exact moment that we achieved each new degree of control. Degree? Control host body comes in degrees. There are stages, each with its own name and characteristics. And those are? From top to bottom, extreme temptation, obsession, infestation, finally possession, subjugation. And Edward Wayne Brady Fully subjugated. That's why we're having this conversation, yes. We, we own him. We? All those who dwell below. My master's very generous with the toys he gives his children to play with. Subjugation with an S. Do you believe in demonic possession? Yeah, you can pause it now. Okay, we turn the lights on. Does that, does that get your attention? Here's, here, here's my opinion. 
okay? Are, are you going to sit across from a table and have a conversation like this? Probably never. But what he just said is so accurate, it's terrifying. And it's sobering, and it should sober us. Did you hear what he said? We, we look for a series of yeses and lesser no's. Do you understand? It's just little yes after little yes after little yes that progresses to a place where you go, how did I get here? And you'll see in the movie, there's moments where you get to finally see Eddie. And Eddie's just like, how did I even get here? And it's not just because, but Eddie slowly said yes after yes after yes. And this is what leads to what we would call a, 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 a possessed person, a person like we see these two men in this context who get to this place. It's not just men who are walking about their day. They're living their great suburban lifestyle, right? Cutting their grass, keeping it straight, you know, weed-eating the edges, right? Taking care of their family, and then bam, they got hit with a demon, and they just, it was out of their control. These are men who probably suffered pain, had experiences, and slowly gave more and more yeses to an enemy who wants to dehumanize them. Now, here's the reality. A lot of you in this room, I go, I just go man, I, yeah. Should we worry about demonic possession? Everyone's like, yeah, we should. I was like, you just need to worry, every one of you right now, about demonic progression in your life right now. Now, let me, let's talk about the opposite. Let's talk about the opposite. Maybe you've never seen somebody who's been possessed by a demon. Maybe you're like, I've, occasionally I've had some thoughts about some people, got them in my family, right? Um, maybe you've never seen that. But have you ever seen somebody who just seems to be possessed by the Holy Spirit? They're just like, they've just offered up a series of yeses to God and less no's. Just more and more yes to God. You know what? Yeah, Lord, I want to I hear from you every morning. Yeah, Lord, I want to. I want to meditate on what you say. I want to believe it. I want to trust. I want to yield. I want to see that this bad thing that just happened to me, maybe, God, you're trying to work something in it. What do we know about those people? They become more and more human. They're filled with peace and joy and love. They're kind people, loving people, encouraging people. Am I right? So... I think the question some of you guys might be wrestling with is like, man, can, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? The answer is no. You cannot be possessed by a demon. If you are owned by the Holy Spirit, you cannot be owned by Satan. Can you progress in a way that is where the demons want to take you? Absolutely. You should read C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, for a great example. Because the reality is this. Morality does not mean closeness with Jesus. Demons can use morality. Look at the Pharisees. They're more moral than you, and they killed the Son of God. Morality and showing up to church and being a good guy is not what makes you close to Jesus. It's a love for and a desire for Jesus that makes you close to Jesus, which then leads to morality. You tracking with me? These men got here because they said no to God, not no to morality, not no to being good. They said no to God and yes to themselves and these enticements and these these fears and whatever, and let it control them, and it leads them to a place. So, guys, you're, in this, you're on this track right now. Every one of you are constantly being offered a series of opportunities from spiritual evil and the Lord. And today you came here because you wanted to hear, you wanted to be encouraged, you wanted to get in the Word, and you said yes to sitting in this room. That's a beautiful thing. But now it's time for us to take it. We've got to take it from our mind, and it's got to go to our heart, Right? So let's go to point number two, because here's the reality. If Jesus is not who Jesus says he is, then why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense. Go do what you want. Go be whoever you want to be. This is a really poor hobby. Hunting is more fun, right? Fishing is 
well, more fun to some of you, not so fun to me. <clears throat> so is Jesus the Lord of the spiritual realm? My answer and the biblical answer is yes. He's the Lord of the spiritual realm. This is why it's so important. This is central and key to the passage because it's deciding. You've got to decide. Are you saying yes to Jesus and then therefore taking some steps? Okay, so last week when we ended the passage, you guys remember what was the question the disciples asked? It's right there at the end. 27, verse 27, what does it say? What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it ironic? The disciples who've been walking with Jesus, sleeping where Jesus slept, they just watched him tell the wind and the waves and the sea, calm down, chill out. The storm's like, yeah, yes, boss, and like just chills. And they go, who is this guy? And who answers their question? Well, look at verse 29. And behold, they cried out, the demons, what have you to do with us, O son of God? How ironic that the enemy of God is the one who answers the, the disciples of Jesus' question. You see that? There's all these signs around Jesus. <clears throat> There's all, this, all these pictures, and even the enemy is saying who he is, and yet there's still this struggle to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Jesus shows up. Their boat hits the shore. They're coming up on the coastline of Gadara or the Gerasenes, whatever you want to call it. They're coming up, and it's like D-Day. You know what D-Day is? Right? When the Allies storm the beach to take back France right, and head in there and just take out Germany, it's the same kind of thing, except for Jesus has now showed up on the beach, and the demons are starting to shudder. They're freaking out because the Son of God has landed on the beach. And what do they do? Verse 30, now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him. Listen to that word. They begged him. If you cast us out, send us away to the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they, went out, uh, so they came out of these men and went into the pigs. Now, Mark's gospel tells us how many pigs are there? 2,000 pigs. 2,000. And behold, the whole herd rushed down into the, uh, the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned in the waters. So what is that about? What is that about? Well, here's the thing. This is not something that is prescriptive. This is something that is descriptive. It's not something that if you decide you want to create a, um, a demonic possession ministry and you want to go around casting out demons, which I just don't recommend, you know what? You, if you want to do that, go preach the gospel. It's not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. Preaching the gospel is what drives demons out because you're talking about Jesus, all right? They're not scared of you. They'll beat your pants off. Go read it in Acts. They beat a couple of dudes' pants off. They run out bleeding naked. Right, because they're like, okay, anyways, so let's bring it back. So um, it's not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. But listen, so what is this about? It's descriptive. Why is it important that everyone sees a bunch of pigs run into the sea? To show not the power that the enemy has, but to show that it really happened. You know what this is? This is a visible proof of what's really happened. At first, you, if Jesus showed up on the beach or he showed up in this room and there was a man or he showed up, I don't know, somewhere in the parking lot and there was a man possessed by a demon. He was out there having a conversation. To you, it looked like a 32-year-old man having a conversation with a crazy person. It doesn't matter that they're saying, what do you have to do with us, O son of God? It's described as a demon possession afterward. But I don't think everybody in the, around is going, oh, this is, the demons are talking to him. It might not have been that clear. But it becomes really clear when they ask to go and be sent into the pigs and then you see with your eyes 2,000 pigs run into the sea and die. You see what I'm saying? 
It's a visible proof of what has actually happened. It's the same thing in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. This is something that, look, I'm going to teach you something about something else and prove the same point, okay? A lot of times what we do uh, in the church is we take these little stories and descriptions of something, and we turn them into something that we shouldn't, okay? The charismatic church is a great example of this. They always take a story in the scripture, and they turn it into something that's actually not. And here's one of the key ones, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius is a Roman official. He's a Greek, and, um, which means he's not a Jew. This is after the Spirit has fallen on the Jews, right? They're preaching the gospel. They're doing their thing. And then down in Joppa, which is on the coast, if anybody goes to Israel with me in May, we'll go to Joppa, beautiful place. And Peter is on a roof, and he gets a vision. You need to go to see Cornelius. So he goes over to Cornelius' place. This guy's a Greek. And they begin to preach the gospel to them, all right, to Cornelius and his family. This is what Acts chapter, uh, but here, let me just tell you this. So in Acts chapter 10, 44 through 48, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, okay? It falls on the Gentiles. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to proclaim the glory of God. What happens is the church will take this kind of thing and go, oh, see, everyone who comes to know Jesus has to speak in tongues. No, that's not what this is. You don't see this over and over again. But this is special because this is the first time you ever see that non-Jewish people have the Spirit. How would we know that they have the Spirit if nothing miraculous happens? You would have no idea. You would have no idea. They could just be making it up. But this had to happen. And look at, well, don't look at it, but it'll be on the screen. Acts chapter 11, 17 through 18. Or uh, let me see. Where am I at? Here we go. Actually, Acts, Acts 10, 44 through 48. Let me read this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers uh, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, so the Jewish ones who came, who had come with Peter, were what? Amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone hold, withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked them to remain for a few days. Now let's go to Acts chapter 11, 17 and 18. Let me show you why this matters and what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you is true. If then God gave, this is when they come back and they tell all the Jews in Jerusalem, hey, this is what's happened. The Greeks have received the Holy Spirit. The, initially, the Jews are upset. You went and told them the gospel? They're upset. And Peter goes, no, 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 I've got to tell you something. And then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, um, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Great thing to say, Peter. And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Acts chapter 10 is to tell the early church, hey, guys, God has opened the door to the whole world. And this, so it's a picture of something. It's not something that's usual. It's descriptive to tell you something bigger. What's happening right here in Matthew chapter 8, the pigs running in, don't make it more than this. It's proof that what Jesus just did actually happen. And what does that say about Jesus? He's the Lord of the spiritual realm. Jesus is in charge. Demons beg Jesus not to be tortured. When Jesus shows up, it's D-Day. When he comes in, demons shudder, and they run, and they freak out, and they flee. And so the question becomes, to the demons, they know who he is. The question that's left for us in this passage is, who do we think Jesus is? 
Who do the disciples believe that Jesus is? Who do, the, who do those, uh, those pig owners believe that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Now, we know later in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus goes to, a man, uh, goes to his disciples, and he tells them, who do you say that I am? You guys ever remember this? Who do you say that I am? Now, you know what's crazy is he asked this question to these people at a place called Caesarea Philippi, all right? And Caesarea Philippi, do we have a picture of it? Is it on, do, did it get put in there? There we go. Caesarea Philippi has this uh, cave in it. Now, Jews didn't go to Caesarea Philippi because this is a place of pagan worship where they worship the god of Pan or Pantheon, right? This is a place of just worldly worship. You know what they called that right there? They called it the Gate of Hades because it was a pit, and there used to be a temple in front of it, and water would flow up out of it through the temple and out. It was a beautiful-looking place, but they would throw and sacrifice babies into this to appease their gods. Tell me that's not a demonic faith. And so Jesus goes, and he's standing in front of this place, and he says to his disciples, and you've got to imagine, they're freaking out. They're not supposed to be there. And he goes, who do you say that I am? What's Peter say? Now, when the Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? is Jesus kind of looking, like, hey, like, what do people think about me? Is this like a, is this like a, like a poll? No. He's testing his disciples, and they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Guys, when you read this story, you've got to ask yourself, who is Jesus to you? When you see that Jesus is casting out demons, and a legion of them goes into 2,000 pigs, and they run in and die, you've got to ask yourself, who is this guy? He just told a storm to stop, and he just told demons to flee. Who is Jesus? You've got to answer this question. Everything in life, listen to me, everything in this world comes down to this question. I don't care if you're Muslim, Jew, atheist, Christian, whatever. It all comes down to this, the most significant man in history. Who is he to you? Every question, small questions. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How will I treat my neighbor? Huge questions. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Why is there death and what comes next? Every single one of these, come, it, it, it finds its genesis or it's predicated upon your answer to the question, who is Jesus to you? Are you hearing me, friends? I know I've got pastor in front of my name, which makes you weird with me, and you're sitting in a room that's a Baptist building, and we're in rows. You, as a human being, I don't know what your name is, but you've got to decide who is Jesus to you. I've got to decide who is Jesus to me, and it changes everything. Now, let's be clear. Again, the answer to these questions are not, what do you know about Jesus? The demons know who Jesus is, but the demons' knowledge is a, the demons' belief in Jesus is a belief of recognition, not submission. They don't love Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. They hate Jesus, but they have to respect him because he's going to torture them. Do you understand? It's possible, friends, to believe things about Jesus, but not really believe in Jesus, which leads us to this. Do you have a said faith, or do you have a saving faith? Let me say it a different way. Do you have a saving faith, or do you have a demonic faith? Some of you freak out because you're just so badly discipled by culture and Hollywood and 
and all that stuff. That you just don't realize that that's not how demons work. They're not, they're not going to make people's heads spin around, spit out pea soup, right? They're not walking around red fork tongue with a pitchfork going, ah, you know. That's not what they are. They are subtle. They are brilliant. They are smarter. You know that I love that in the movie. He goes, I'm smarter than you think I am. He's like, you're smarter than you think I am. Like, he's like, you fool, you idiot. Demons know more about God than you. They know more scripture than you. They are smarter than you, and they have existed far longer than you. Who do you think you are? But look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled. What do they do? The herdsmen, they run. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men, which, I don't know, when I look at the two, 2,000 pigs going into the lake, that's what I'd be more like. That was nuts. Right? And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And look what they do. And when they saw him, what did they do? Listen, what did I say the demons did? They begged Jesus. Begged Jesus not to torture them. Look what these people say. And they begged Jesus to leave their region. They cast out Jesus from their land. Do you see this? That's a demonic faith. I, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are, but you got to get out of here. Please leave. We're begging you. So there's a connection between the begging of the demons and the begging of the Gadarenes. In verse 31, demons, knowing who Jesus is, that he is the highest authority and the highest power on the beach, begged that they would not be tortured but instead be sent into pigs. The Gadarenes, after seeing Jesus' power over the spiritual evil and really their loss of 2,000 pigs, they begged that Jesus would not torture them any longer by robbing them of their businesses, of their budgets and their bottom lines. And this is just typical of us. When we are possessed by demonic faith, we dehumanize others. They cared more about their pigs than they cared about these men. Do you see this? This is what's going on in our culture. Where are the Christians? Listen, this past week, five people were sentenced to 11 years in prison and $350,000 fine because they stood outside of a D.C. abortion clinic and said this is wrong, and they chained themselves and prayed and worshiped God. They got arrested, instantly thrown in jail, and they're gonna, they potentially will be facing 11 years in prison because the doctor in there was recorded saying that if a baby would survive, he would not help it, though legally he has to. And he's on camera saying it, and they wouldn't sit outside of it to, to fight against it. Now, you don't have to agree with chaining yourself outside of an abortion clinic, but every Christian agrees that we have to speak up and out about dehumanization in our culture. It's demonic faith that's leading to this place, and there's a lot of Christians who are responsible and culpable because you, you, you voted for people, you were quiet in your family rooms when Thanksgiving came, you didn't want to make anybody feel bad, so you didn't say anything. It's because you do not have a, you have a said faith, not a saving faith. You have a demonic faith, not a faith in the, the real God. Jesus, Jesus to, you, to you is somebody you know, but he's not somebody you believe. I'm with you. There's times where I don't show the courage I should show. And I don't stand up where I should stand up. And I don't cross the line I need to cross. I'm more chained by fear than I am chained by love. I'm with you guys. It's hard. 
But the reason why you dehumanize others, why you're okay with it, why you don't speak up, step out, and act like men of God is just because we've, we've gotten more convinced by demonic progression. That's not my problem. What am I going to do? If it comes to my family, then I'll do something. It will come to your family, and you won't be able to do anything. I, I, I share that with you guys because I think you need to realize that this has meaning for today, right now, right now. And we've got to decide who is Jesus. You don't need to decide who you're going to vote for in this upcoming election. 2024 is going to be crazy, but it's not going to be as crazy as the end of days. You need to decide who Jesus is. Is your vote for Jesus? Do you live for Jesus? Set aside uh, your, your daily devoting to your political websites. What if you just took that same amount of time and devoted it to understanding who this Jesus is, who you call Savior? What would happen? The country's where it is, not because Trump didn't get voted in, guys. It's not where it is because Biden is president, guys. It's where it is because Christians stop speaking up and stepping out and proclaiming goodness and kindness and love and humanizing people. It's because we got on our heels and we got fat and happy and comfortable and demons got us right where we want us. They don't need to make our heads spin. They got our eyes looking directly into screens. You see what I'm saying? You see the danger that's going on? That's why constantly, and my love for you as a pastor and a foolish man who's trying to follow Jesus as well, I constantly say, you need to devote daily to relationship with Jesus. That's why I tell you constantly, you need to be in a community of people. You need to be a member of a local church because you need to be in a group of people who are going to go, who are going to keep you on guard. They're going to be vigilant to guard your heart from the schemes of the devil. When a lion comes into your life, they're going to be praying for you, right? You need to be in there so you can be praying for others and guarding your friends. So this could become a place of life and flourishing, a garden inside of this city. And when our city is going nuts and being crazy and attacking each other on Facebook, they come across you and go, man, you guys are just different. You don't rant and rave and yell and scream and beat each other. They're just love and loving and kind and gracious and free. What is this thing? And you go, man, it's just Jesus. I know who Jesus is. Can I tell you who he is? You hearing me? Man, help me. Help me get there. I'm not there. How arrogant would that be? Man, freaking pastors, we, we're some of the most confused bunch. We need your help. Okay. What, what does this mean for us, guys? Let's get, you want to get to the practical? I feel like I've been talking practical. All right, I'm getting a little excited. Anybody hot? Okay, great. If you don't like what I'm saying, we're having a feedback session after this. And listen, I won't even reply. You can tell me all the things you think are wrong. Okay? That's great. And if, if you tell me that, you're like, well, I think you're wrong. I think it's where we're at because of Trump. I go, buddy, I, I will say this. I'll go ahead and give you an answer right now. <laughs> don't ever come here again if that's what you're going to continue to believe. Your faith is in Trump, not in Jesus. Okay? All right. Sorry. I just had to say that. All right? Lord, forgive me. All right. Let's, let's jump into this. Here, here, here's the thing. A lot of us guys, Christians, we got to get honest with ourselves. Some, we're taking part in this demonic progression of our culture. We're taking part of this in our own lives and in our community and in our families. We're allowing these things to happen, and I allow it to happen in my life, and, and it's time we stop putting up with it because Satan's winning. We can't let him win anymore. He's got to stop winning here so he can stop winning out there. we got to do something about it. So what we need to pray, pray for are three transformations, and we see these three transformations in this story, both in Mark and in Matthew. Okay, and the three transformations first start with this, a transformed desire. Guys, we got to pray for a transformed desire. Write this down. Look, 
The demons did not want Jesus in their territory. The Gadarenes did not want Jesus in their region. But the man who was possessed by the demon wanted Jesus. Over in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 5, he tells more of the story. And he focuses on the one who is more, uh, more overwhelmingly possessed. And he says this. And they came to Jesus. And so this is the people, the Gadarenes. And saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had a legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. What an amazing thing. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, as he, Jesus, as Jesus was getting into the boat, listen, Jesus just does what they said. They're like, get, please get out of our region. And it doesn't say anything for Jesus. It just says he just went and got in his boat. And as Jesus got in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. You see that word? Begged him that he might be with him. Does that like hit anybody? Demons beg to not be tortured. Gatherings beg that Jesus might leave. But the, the man who was possessed by a demon begs that he can just be with Jesus. Are you begging to be with Jesus? Man, if you really believe what Jesus is, you're a person who goes, man, I just want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. Do you want that? Do you want to be with Jesus? Man, are you here because you want to be with Jesus? Do you get up in the morning early to open your Bible because you just want to be with Jesus? When you get sit down at your breakfast table and you're getting everything ready and all your kids and you're trying to clothe them, blah, do you just want Jesus to be there with you all? When you go on vacation, are you just trying to get away from the world so you just can sip the mojito and chill? Or do you want Jesus to be with you in your vacation? When you go to work, do you want Jesus to be with you when you go to work? Do you want Jesus to be with you when you go to school and you're sitting in your class and your teacher who doesn't know anything about the gospel is sitting there bashing Christianity? Do you want Jesus to be with you on the football field and on the basketball court, wherever you are? Do you want Jesus to be with you? That's the question. Christian, you hear what I'm saying? It's not, do I come to the church because I want to know more about Jesus? Do I go because I want to be with Jesus? I want more Jesus. I'm begging you, Jesus. I want more of you. I'm going to learn stuff about you because it just makes me feel so close to you. And I want to be with you. That's what faith is about. That's what Christianity is about. And this man had a transformed desire. He wanted to be with Jesus. The greatest question to be considered uh, in this passage is, do you want to be with him? Hey, the second transformation, he had a transformation of desire, but there's a transformation of identity. I don't know if you saw this, but in Mark, the people continually call him the demon-possessed man. It's like it's his identity. He's the demon-possessed man, the demon-possessed man, the demon-possessed man. It says it over and over and over every time the people are talking about him. But look what it says again, right? In verse 18, <clears throat> Mark chapter 5. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed. Isn't that crazy? That's what happens when you meet Jesus. You become, you're not the, the, the alcoholic man. You're not the porn-addicted man. You're not the lying man. You're not that, the, the scoundrel man. You're not the whatever people have put on you. You become the man who was. Isn't that cool? You become the woman who was. 
That's who you are when you get to be with Jesus. He transforms your identity. You're now a son of God. And they go, oh, you were just, you were just that adulterous woman. He goes, that's not who I am anymore. That's, that's the woman I was. Let me tell you who I am. I'm a daughter of the king. I still battle those things. Do you think this demon-possessed man walked away and was sinless? Do you think he walked away and never de- uh, struggled with the demonic progression and lies and believing things? Do you think he just went away and he was perfect? No! Christians, read like a human. That's crazy talk. He wasn't perfect from then on out. The man still had struggles and battles. But man, he had a transformed identity. He had a transformed desire. Do you have a transformed identity? Do you know who you are? Are you the man who was? Are you a woman who was? Man, come on, praise God. That's what we were. And hey, last thing. We get transformed intentions. Transformed intentions. I say transformed intention because it implies not just doing something, but why we're doing something. I'm so glad y'all came here. I'm so glad you came here. It's great. But why you came here is what really matters. What'd you come here for? Did you come here because you just like my charismatic preaching better than some of the other preaching that's going on in town? Did you come here because it's going to make you feel good about yourself? Did you come here because you want to be closer to Jesus and you love God's people? Why did you come here? Why do you read your Bible? Well, because you told me I have to do this and I better do it and then check that box and I'm going to feel bad and guilty. It, listen, demons can work with good actions done for the wrong reasons. And you need to understand, good, doing good things for the wrong reasons is still sin. The Pharisees murdered Jesus thinking they were doing a good thing. And they killed the Son of God. He transforms our intentions. Look at this. But the man who was possessed by the demon is a great example of the complete opposite. And he did not permit him. So he, he asks, he begs, Jesus, can, I just want to be with you. Like, just imagine this guy's like on the edge holding the boat. And he's like, he's like ready to hop in. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the 10 cities outside of Israel, how much Jesus had done for him. And listen, everyone marveled. I got to go tell everybody what God has done for me. Listen, some of you, everyone has to avoid you. They have to walk on eggshells around you. They got to give you just a wide berth. At work, they see you in the break room. They're going to get their coffee. They turn around, go right back to their office. Because you become something and someone that they has to be avoided, just like these demon-possessed men. It said that nobody could go that way because they were there. You guys hear what I'm saying? But then he became somebody who didn't make people move away. He made people marvel because he talked about the mercy of God in his life. He became a person that people probably showed up to his house, his new house, and just said, tell me again, what, who is this guy? Jesus, I heard he's actually up in Caesarea Philippi. I was going to go see him. What did you say happened? Just let me tell you, man, all he did for me. I was possessed by a legion of demons, and he threw it into these pigs. The pigs ran into the sea. And I was just sitting there, and I was no longer naked and beating myself. I was sitting clothed in my right man, mind. I'm not a possessed man. I'm a man who was possessed. Right? Friends. You could make people marvel if you just tell them what Jesus has done for you because you love people and you love your God and you desire him. Transform desires, right? Transform desires, transform identity, transform intentions, doing it for the right reason. May God give that to us, but we got to be aware, be vigilant, guard our hearts, 
get into the word, man, not neglect to meeting together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, every day as the day draws near. We got to do this, man. We got to act like the church and be the church. Anybody ready for that? Y'all ready for that? Well, listen, we'll be the church when you choose to be the church, not when I do, when you choose. I'll do what I got to do to choose for myself, but you got to choose yourself. Do you love Jesus? Who is he to you? Amen? God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this word in here. Thank you for letting us know there are demons that are scheming against us. Jesus, but thank you so much for showing us that demons ain't got nothing on you. They got absolutely nothing on you. God, as we sing this song, I just pray, God, you would awaken some people in this room. I pray that as we sing, all I have is Christ, I pray that that would be true. If there's somebody in this room, God, man, they got nothing, and they don't even have you, I pray that right now during this song, they would see that all they got to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess I'm a sinner. Would you save me? I need you, Jesus. Let me get in the boat with you, Jesus. I have been this man. Would Would you free me from it? God, I pray for as I pray for myself, there are fathers like me in the room. We've let our kids be a part of things that are not of you. We've not been an example to them of your love and kindness. I just pray that me and the other dads in this room will repent, turn around, and come to you. God, there are, there are teenage girls in this room who are allowing images and ideas of, of who they are into their life. I pray that they would cut off the streams of the enemy. And God, they would run straight to your word and devote to it, finding out that they could be daughters of the king. God, there are grandparents in this room thinking that they are lost and lonely and no one cares about them anymore. But God, I pray that you would help them see you're the God who sees them. You show up on their shores and you care about them. And one day you're going to invite them into your shores of heaven. They are not alone. God, create and stir up in us a love and a desire for you. Transform our identities and transform our intentions. And may we worship you with all the honor and glory and praise we can muster in Christ's name. Amen. Hey guys, let's stand and let's sing to Jesus. We've got a reason to sing.